transportation dictates how people live, how they live their lives, where they can live, where they can work, where they can shop, where they can learn, where they can play. My City Rides as a program is designed to provide someone everything they need to successfully own and operate an inexpensive, reliable vehicle. And that vehicle is a motor scooter. Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast, where we show you how to turn your unique passion into a strategy to change the world. As we continue to feature different impact organizations, it's fascinating to discover the ways to make an impact on the world that you likely never would have thought of. Today, it sits down with Andy Nix and Megan Klein from My City Rides. Their organization provides an affordable motor scooter lease to own program so that the need for transportation is no longer a barrier for people to pursue the work and the lives they want. It's time to get off the bench. Let's do this. Here's your host, Ed Gillentai. Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast. I'm your host, Ed Gillentine. I'm here with Andy Nix and Megan Klein with My City Rides here in my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So I've been really excited about uh, this conversation uh, because I've been thinking more and more about transportation and how it impacts impact, right? Um, So um, let's just dive right in, okay? And I want you guys... To we'll start with you, Andy, and you can give us the um, cliff note version of you, how you got here, and Megan, you, and then y'all just jump into where my city rides came from and why it's important. And let's just dive in. I'll interrupt on occasion and ask some questions. I'll scribble some notes down so to keep from interrupting, but let's dive in. All right. Great. Well, number one, thank you very much for having us. We're really excited to be here for this conversation as well. And as far as my own personal journey here, I, um, I, I came to Memphis to go to school about a half a million years ago, went to Rhodes College, graduated and fell in love with Memphis and have never broken orbit. Um, after, after college, I, uh, I worked at FedEx for about 15 years. The last, uh, the last several with, uh, at the corporate holding company with a foot in finance and a foot in HR, uh, which kind of gave me a perspective on workforce and, and, and that type of thing. After FedEx, I started a, uh, business strategy consulting firm with a couple of colleagues. Um, and our, our focus was, uh, that one that an organization's people strategy is, is is as important as its financial strategy. Couldn't agree more. And that you've got to be intentional um, about building it and tending to both of them. Uh, and basically, from there, that is uh, that's how I came to meet Jay Martin, who is our uh, founder. And um, he is he, he is the, the brainchild, if you will, behind the My City Rides concept. I was introduced to him and fell in love with him and his passion and his idea. And he asked me to help him build it. And um, that's what I've been working on for the last uh, several years. That's awesome. That's awesome. Megan? Uh, my road to My City Rides started, I came to Memphis in 2007 and worked in marketing with Archer Malmo and then moved into the nonprofit sphere. And uh, Boys and Girls Club was the first kind of nonprofit that I worked for. And Jay is uh, has been heavily invested in Boys and Girls Club um, for years. And his main focus at the time was the Technical Training Center, which was the first workforce development arm um, ever affiliated with Boys and Girls Clubs of America um, that started specifically 
locally here in Memphis. So That's he was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, he was really tuned in to the importance of workforce development and the fact that not everyone is college bound, that trades and uh, earning a livable wage are just as important and attainable for somebody who wants to move more immediately into the workforce. Absolutely. So that was the focus of the Technical Training Center. And they were having tremendous success training students up in logistics and culinary and IT and automotive areas that have jobs readily available in Memphis. But what they were finding was that as students got placed in these jobs, they couldn't maintain the employment because they couldn't get there reliably. So he started a few different um, options for students. They tried an earn-a-car program. They partnered with Jake Harris and tried to make that work. Um, but what they found was even with a used vehicle, the challenges for these students were a, they, it might be one of the only vehicles that was readily available to the family, and so it became a shared family car, so then it wasn't available for the student when they needed it, or it was a used vehicle that was purchased for something they, the student could afford, but then they couldn't maintain it because one big vehicular issue, and all of a sudden it became something that they, they couldn't fix and they couldn't get right. to work. So that was an ongoing problem, and then I moved on to some other um, you know, opportunities in Memphis, but Jay and I kept in touch. And he took me to coffee one day and he said, I want to tell you about this thing that we're doing with scooters. I think you should come join. I was in a transition at that point. Um, I was like, that sounds really exciting. What would I be doing? And he goes, it doesn't matter. It's going to be great. You need to join the team. So I met Andy um, because we'd actually been talking about helping students get to work um, when we I was working at Streets Ministries, and we were having the same issue with mm -hmm. employment and transportation, um, especially for students from that 38126 South right. City area trying to get to places like The Hub or go out east and work or down in the warehouse distribution area. So uh, I joined Andy and, and My City Rides as kind of one of the first uh, members of his team. He was still flying solo at that point, and that was a big lift. <laughs> um, but he and I started thinking through how do we create a good funnel for applications for, stu for not just students, but um, working Memphians who needed reliable transportation. And so that's where the, the My City Rides team, there was another member of our team, Jason Williford, um, who joined us at the same time, a retired MPD officer with a passion for motorcycles and two-wheel transportation, brought a lot of expertise, although I hate to talk Jason up at any point. So if there's anything nice, <laughs> I'll have to, yeah. have to pull back from that right. quickly. We should pivot quickly. We should, right. we should. Um, but we just had a unique um, set of skills with me in, in marketing and development and Andy in people and investment and, um, and culture development and innovation, really. And then Jason with this expertise in the mechanics and technical part of two wheels. Um, you have three people just trying to figure out how to make it work. And it turns out three is the magic number. <laughs> there you go. Still rolling, huh? Exactly. That's awesome. Need two wheels, but three people. Exactly. Right? That's right. <laughs> Fantastic. So talk about just a synopsis of what My City Rides is, and then more importantly, the drive behind it. And when I watched the TED Talk, you had some really good statistics that, um, you know, one of my big deals is asking the right questions, right? If you don't want to get the right question, you're probably not going to get the right answer. <laughs> um and so, yeah, talk about that for a minute and feel free to dive into some of the stats behind it and, and, and uh, let us know how it 
came about? Well, basically, My City Rides as a program um, is designed to provide someone everything they need to successfully own and operate an inexpensive, reliable vehicle. And that vehicle is a motor scooter, 169cc scooter, which uh, that's the engine size. And basically, that means it will travel uh, 60 to 65 miles an hour. Okay. It's 89 miles to the gallon. I like um, that. So, yes. So, you know... Um, this is a vehicle that empowers people with the autonomy and mobility, the same mobility as a car, which is really key for a large area like Memphis. Memphis, um, you know, while it's kind of like a small town, uh, we do have uh, the statistical area does have about a million folks in it and is larger than New York City by geography. That's right? amazing In to me. terms of footprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, Memphis is huge, but with a fraction of the population. So people are spread out. Right. Things are far away. Uh, it takes time and effort to get places. And basically what that means is that public transit infrastructure because it did not really get built as the city was coming up, because the city was so automobile-focused, putting that, retrofitting that structure is incredibly expensive, Mm -hmm. uh, economically, politically, socially. It is, um, and there's some real smart folks working on that, but it's going to be a minute before that, before material gains can be made there. And so we wanted to put together a program that would help people today uh, because recognizing transportation dictates how people live, right? Um, How they live their lives, where they, where they can live, where they can work, where they can shop, where they can learn, where they can play. Everything requires some level of transportation. So back to the program. We, uh, we identified the scooter as an ideal vehicle for moving about the statistical area in the metro area and then identified all of the things that are necessary to help support somebody through a 36-month lease to own. That starts with training and licensing, basic insurance, maintenance, the vehicle itself, all of the gear, safety equipment, security equipment, that kind of thing, as well as a supportive community that uh, we, we do uh, group rides. We do commuter buddies where we help people acclimate to riding their scooter in the, in the city environment. We'll volunteer and create opportunities for our program participants, who we call flyers, to come together mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to learn from each other, to develop those relationships, and, and also, uh, most importantly, to further our relationship with them. Because a big part of the success of the program is developing a relationship with the program participants so that we've got open, candid communication. Because three years can be an eternity. Uh, so basically what we, what we did was we, we built a program that fixes the cost for every for, for someone and they that fixed cost is $90 a month. Uh, and at the end of 36 months they own the vehicle and everything that came with it. And for those of you scoring at home, $90 a month is about $3 a day which is actually the same price or cheaper than riding the bus on a round trip wow. one way each day on the walk-up ticket. Wow. And I'm also guessing I'm thinking about my own car. 89 miles for a tank of gas probably get you a couple of weeks. Well, and you wanted to, you know, you wanted to talk some numbers a mm-hmm. little bit. And AAA will tell you that the average cost of ownership for a basic 
four-door vehicle, like mm-hmm. an old Toyota mm-hmm. Camry is north My of... My personal favorite, the old go. Toyota Camry. <laughs> Very exciting, wonderful car, um, is north of 75 cents a mile, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the total cost of ownership for a scooter in our program is 14 cents a mile. Wow. So it is a fraction of the cost um, to own and operate a car. That's amazing. And what's the, uh, Megan, you, you may uh, know this, what's the, I guess, the lifespan of a scooter? Yeah. So we picked this model specifically because it's very mechanically sound. Mm-hmm. So our whole intention is that while a, a participant in the program is paying for the scooter over three years, that the scooter lives long beyond that three-year model. Right. So if somebody is maintaining it and doing the preventative maintenance, which is all included in the My City Rides program, and then continues that, we see these scooters lasting 10 years plus, I mean, because mm-hmm. they are very mechanically sound and they're pretty simple machines. Um, so we picked it because it was a sturdy enough vehicle to be considered a serious workforce vehicle. Right. And we have people that are riding them 30 miles a day one way on their commutes. They're very comfortable to ride. They're very comfortable to ride in traffic. So when you think about Memphis's road infrastructure, you can get from the river out to Collierville and further east using secondary and tertiary roads. You don't have to take the interstate. Right. And so when we've mapped it, because you know we all ride scooters and we ride them around town, um, it'll take you maybe 10 minutes longer if you're making a trip of that length. Mm-hmm. But if you're comparing, so if you're comparing it to a car, you've got 10 minutes, but think of the economy of gas and expense that you're saving. Um, and if you're thinking about public transit, well, that's just a totally right. different game. And it's mostly because Memphis's uh, public transit system is designed for coverage but not necessarily frequency. Right. So if somebody was riding and they only had one bus that they had to catch, it can be relatively sure. economical yeah. for someone to use the bus. But if you have to make a transfer and that bus line you're transferring to only has one bus every hour, all of a sudden this becomes an exponentially different situation where their average you know, commute time can be two hours, two and a half hours or yep. more. Um, and so when you're trying to get to some of those, when you're moving population, And so you're looking at where people live in the city in uh, juxtaposition to where the jobs are, and you radiate out from the river. And Andy, you need to check me on on stats. Okay. Yeah, when you're looking at kind of the rings of employment from the river Mm -hmm. moving east, in the downtown core, we have... The central business district's got about 11 to 12% of the jobs, Mm -hmm. right? And that's right at the river a few blocks east. Mm Then you go to within the loop, mm-hmm. you're you're looking at the next thirty-five to forty percent of the jobs or within that loop, which is a huge area. Mm-hmm. Then you've got thirty-five percent plus of the jobs are outside of the loop. Right. Which means that they are miles and miles and miles away from areas like Fraser or Binghampton or uh, the 38126 South Memphis or Smoky City or God, there's so mm-hmm. many, so many communities that, um, that, that are, that are spread out. I've always been amazed at Memphians and maybe mid Southerners, how it's not a big deal to drive 45 minutes one way to a job. Right. And uh, my, my, my dad did it. And that's probably why I hate it. Because growing up, I was like, "Oh my goodness, another car ride." Mm-hmm. Yes. But when you think about, you know, like you said, time wasted, 
uh, maybe not necessarily wasted, but um, that's a that's a lot of driving. Right. Well, it is. It is. It is a lot of driving, or a lot of waiting, mm-hmm. yeah. and a lot of walking. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that um, is also a factor with regard to um, to public transit, even though we do have good coverage as far as as access, that um, that access sort of stretches the limits. I mean, you know, when sure. you say easy access, you're talking about a, up to a half mile walk mm-hmm. for someone. Versus New York City, where I can go off the subway, it feels like every 50 yards. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you can't, I feel like, I, I actually, full disclosure, this is probably in four or five years ago, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to try 90 days to use public transportation because I live two minutes from the office and I thought, worst case, I'll just walk, right? right. Sure. <laughs> if right. I got to get to a yeah. meeting. But I never were. I, I went to the library and started looking through all that stuff and I panicked. And so I never actually did it. But I can't imagine how um, challenging that would be. And Megan, I don't know. It seems like maybe your responsibility or one of your many, I know y'all all wear lots of hats, is is the development right. of this, the selling of it. Uh-huh. So talk about, I believe when I watched your TED Talk, maybe y'all had been a year in play and maybe 86 or 90 uh, flyers. Mm-hmm. Right. Where is it now? How do you get the word out? Sure. How's it going? Well, first of all, I love that you even thought about taking that challenge on yourself because as we are starting to to really dig into the world of transit in Memphis and, and to educate ourselves and to partner with other organizations that are working in this sphere, because there are some smart, smart folks in Memphis that are working mm-hmm. on it. You've got Sylvia Crum with Innovate Memphis and their commute options. You've got um, Dr. Holtz at Rhodes, who's thinking about health access and equity. You've got um, Dr. Ruglas at the Church Health Center, and they're thinking about how can we make this more accessible for people to improve health access um, for, for folks needing to get to their appointments. So there's lots of people working in that sphere. But basically what we're trying to do is connect the dots for the Memphis community. How do we communicate to people who have never lived without a personal vehicle Right. the importance and the life-changing um, aspect of having access to right. their own transportation. So if some if, if more Memphians were willing to say, not even 90 days, take a week sure. and just navigate the city using public transit or a bike or a ride share, look at what it costs you to do that. Think about how much you have to restructure your daily right. schedule. Like I'm dropping off kids in the morning and mm-hmm. picking them up from summer camps and things right now. It's already a logistical mess for us. And my husband and I, we moved to, we had a car that gave up the ghost in Snowpocalypse. Right. She'd been a good 1999 Jeep, but it was time. And so we said, you know what, we're going to do this. He has a motorcycle. I have a scooter. We have a a vehicle that will transport our two kids. Mm -hmm. So this is like, we can live this life for a while and see what this looks like. Um, And it has been a logistical challenge to think through, okay, who has to have the car? Because who's picking up kids? Who can ride the scooter or ride the motorcycle? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's navigatable. It's doable to have that. But we live our lives within a 10 to 15 minute radius. Right. And so the city being spread out, what we're finding is, you know, if Memphis could think about how we can construct nodes within our cityscape, 15 minutes, if everyone could live within 15 minutes of education opportunities, healthy food options, their jobs, Mm -hmm. if that was affordable, then this could become a more livable, walkable community that has friendlier transit options. But 
so this is what we get excited about. This is where we sure. start to spread the word. And so what we've done in three years, um, it, at the time of the TED Talk, like you said, we had about 75 to 100 flyers on the road. We are now three years into our program, and My City Rides is the largest scooter fleet in the entire country. Wow. We're the only program of our kind in the entire country, and we're consulting with transit experts in New York and D.C., people that are looking at transit systems in the, the South, in our region, and around um, the nation. And um, what, our, what we're showing is the data that we're putting together is something that's just not being done anywhere mm-hmm. else. Um, so we're starting to make some waves which is really encouraging for Memphis to be seen as this city with this unique innovation. Um, we've got more than 300 folks on the road now in the My City Rides program. That's awesome. Yeah. This year, they've traveled about 650,000 miles in three years because all of our scooters have a GPS device. So we're tracking track mileage yeah. for everybody. It's good we, data. Yeah, exactly. Yes. We do it so that we have the, this data to learn from. We do it so that we can help the flyer manage their maintenance. So we proactively send them notifications when they're due for maintenance mm-hmm. to bring them in so that we can check in with them, see how things are going, make yeah. sure the machine is doing what it needs to do because we're still learning about these scooters that we're putting together. Um, and then we do it too so that we can help them secure their, their scooters so that we can recover a scooter if we need to, um, which we've been really successful at. You know, it's Good. Memphis. Things go right. missing sometimes. Yeah. Um, but we've got a nearly 100% recovery rate on those. So it's it's been um, a really interesting kind of arc for My City Rides to look at how do we develop this program and make sure that it functions the way that it needs to, to missionally serve those that we're setting out to do. And then how are we working to shift culture? And so that's kind of the next iteration for My City Rides. How can we be an asset to the transit community? Um, but what we're really excited about is where we're going physically. We've been working out of a very small storefront on Cleveland, and now we're moving to summer. Do you want to talk about awesome. that? Sure, sure, we are. Um, as Just as Megan said, you know, we, we started operations about three years ago with the goal of proof of concept. Sure. That was uh, that was how Jay wanted to approach things, mm-hmm. and um, and that initial goal was let's get a hundred scooters on the road and figure out a what does it take to get them out there, b what does it take to keep people in the program with the scooters rolling. We did that with a hundred scooters, um, and then we did it with two hundred scooters. And once we turned the corner on two hundred scooters, the the board became uh, convinced. Uh, we, Yes, we all became convinced that this is working Uh and this is scalable. This is a this this is a serious solution, a viable option for a large spectrum of of the community. And we need to in order to get the full impact, we need to scale it. Let me interject for a second. Number one, what's the sort of market penetration that you guys estimate if to use a business term? But number two. Is this a, a viable either interim or even long-term solution for across the South? We don't have big cities, and right. public transportation seems terrible across the South versus the concentrated Boston's, New York City, all those. Is it um, a solution for that? Because you were talking earlier, the cost of putting in um, convenient, consistent public transportation has got to be 
astronomical. Tens of millions is right. what they estimate. And we're not even talking Annually. about subways. We're just talking about buses. Yeah, I'm buses. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. So how, does this fit into that? Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. What um, what we see is we want to get uh, the, the My City Rides playbook right here in Memphis. We right. started in Memphis. Mm-hmm. We love Memphis. This is a uh, Memphis is uh, an ideal environment for the program for a number of reasons. The city size and layout, like we've talked about, the workforce, uh, the the type of workforce that we've got, the distribution of uh, employers, the weather. It mm-hmm. is a year-round right. rideable climate, um, which makes this a serious viable option for folks um, all the time, or as we like to say, nearly all the time. This is, you know, there are certainly conditions when uh, getting on a getting on a scooter is is less than ideal. Right. Like the monsoonal rain that we get occasionally yep. in Memphis and that kind of thing. And the way that we look at that is that my city rides is a fantastic option A for people, right? right? They can always do what they were doing before um, or, and, you know, ride share, Uber, Lyft, mm-hmm. or public transit. Take some pressure off of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Those are much more viable solutions when they're not the go-to, mm-hmm. but it is on an ad hoc basis. So we definitely, we definitely see this expanding. And the first step in that expansion is moving from our current storefront, our current 2,000 square feet to a new facility on Summer Avenue, right in the heart of Memphis, where Binghampton, the Heights, and Berclair all come awesome. together. Yeah, it's a great uh, spot. Yes, we're very excited. We're going to be moving into what was the what was Al's Honda, which yeah, I don't know, you know, as a mm-hmm. as a Memphian, that's a sort of uh, iconic in the yeah. in the two wheel community. So we're really pleased to be moving in there. That facility will allow us. Uh, to conduct every aspect of our operation, which includes classroom, maintenance shop, uh, cl- um, administrative offices, showroom, warehouse, and uh, training range. You know, an acre and a half sure. worth of, uh, of of pavement where we can uh, where we can teach people how to safely operate these machines. Moving it from this 2,000 square foot operation where we are now over the next year into 20,000 plus square feet and a couple of acres is going to is going to allow us to go from serving hundreds of folks in the community to serving thousands. Get a little breathing room too. Exactly. <laughs> Get a little breathing room. Give us the ability to scale um, and to to do that in a in a comfortable way. And then you were you would ask about another. Remind me the the first question. Yeah, you had asked. Um, how many scooters do you think Memphis can handle? Exactly. Okay. Right. Uh, market share. The way that we break that down is you know there um, the domestic scooter market is not very large right now. Right. It's a drop in the bucket globally. Um, we're actually becoming a significant player in the domestic scooter market, which is fantastic. Um, but basically, what um, what we use is motorcycle data sure, to, yeah. as a proxy Seems because, reasonable. Uh, because that's that's as close as we can get and industry studies will will tell you that eight percent of the population is inclined to have a motorcycle in the driveway or in the in the garage what we are finding is that um, so eight percent is a you know reasonable sure. proxy right yep. um then what we're finding is not over 90% of the folks that come into our program have never 
been on motorized two wheels. Many of them have never been on a bicycle Amazing. before. So what we've what we've got here is um, you know a, an eight percent general bogey with the vehicle that we're using is actually far more approachable. It's not as terrifying. Although my buddy had one years ago, he he did the scooter thing, and I remember he's like, "Here, come try this." I never could quite get used to my feet being in front of me. Right. <laughs> so right. I look like a crazy person going down through there. But it is not nearly as terrifying as the Harley Davidson. Davidson, you know, that, that, you know, he feels like right. an earthquake right. going by. Right. right. Exactly. Well, it's, a, it's as cool as that is. It's, it's a gateway vehicle. Yeah, it really. is. Scooters are, they <laughs> yeah. can be. Harley um, Davidson needs to be supporting this because it's going to lead to more sales <laughs> for you them. Get exactly. closer to we're, the mic and say that. Right. Go ahead and let them know. We're still fundraising. Send we're, us that big check. Right. <laughs> we're, we're making more, more motorcycle buyers as well as mm-hmm. more car buyers because what we are finding is a big part of our function is to help people at a certain level of stability improve the quality of their life and, and grow to another level of stability that empowers them to, to, mm-hmm. um, to, to, to live a higher quality of life, which yeah. you know, in, includes, can include the purchase of a vehicle and, and, and a home. Uh, that that type of thing, and I think you, you you get at the heart of it, right? It's not about scooters or motorcycles or cars. Mm-hmm. It's about a quality of life. It's about uh, raising people from out of poverty. It's about uh, the flourishing of the city, mm-hmm. and I think that's the heart of the issue. Absolutely. I think you know it is it is all about empowerment, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and providing folks the opportunity to be successful. Yeah. So you guys have mentioned like. 85,000 things that I'd love to chase down. So maybe you can come back and do another uh, podcast. Sure. Um, you talked about being data-driven. That's a big deal to me. Uh, I love that you're not reinventing the wheel. That was a good. That was a really good pun, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't realize that that was a pun until it was out of my mouth. So if somebody else has already made the wheel, right. can we just not make it better? Let's right. not start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I want to talk about. I want to talk about the paradigm shift, and I, th- uh, I, I think part of that has to do with the model of the organization. So whichever one of y'all wants to take that question, (laughs) I want you to have freedom when you say paradigm shift. Uh Like I'm assuming you can go a a million different ways. Mm -hmm. Part of the paradigm shift is for me, the 2003 uh, Sequoia driver, to be aware of the scooter driver in the road, right? That's a Mm -hmm. paradigm shift, especially in the South. There's a paradigm shift that, oh, I can... I can drive this thing. Mm-hmm. I can save the energy. So I know there's a bunch of different paradigm shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, y- y'all y'all go with it. Don't let me guide it too much. Well, I think we've talked a lot about the culture shift for transportation, but you, My City Rides is actually set up as a unique form of nonprofit. Right. We, yeah, we prefer to call ourselves a social entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah chase that down because yeah. I'm fascinated with okay, that. Okay, sure. So the way that a social entrepreneurship essentially works, and I think that uh, the way that we define it, essentially, because yeah. there's, a, there's a few different um, definitions, but we are essentially in business um, to do good. We are a very purpose-driven business. And so we are a nonprofit, and that's that caused a lot of confusion because we also are a motorcycle dealership. Right. <laughs> so we have a motorcycle dealership license. We are licensed salespeople, um, but we are a nonprofit because we are putting every scooter on the road at a loss to the organization because every scooter, when it's paid in full by that flyer, 
is paid at, at retail or at this point slightly less than retail to maintain that $90 a month um, fee. So we're essentially leasing to own these vehicles interest-free to these individuals while providing their training, their maintenance, and their equipment. So that this whole package costs about $1,500 more than what the individual is paying. But because they are paying something back, we're giving them a microloan, essentially, right. for transportation. So they're paying that back in. And when we get to that model that Andy was talking about, kind of that tipping point of a 1,000 scooters on the road, what we're going to see is the income from the people paying off their scooters in that three-year program is going to be enough to underwrite the purchase of the new scooters needed annually. So there's a bit of sustainability in our model and skin in the game for the people that are participating and benefiting from the program. They are paying part of that back. So yep. they have ownership. They have, they're have. they riding with dignity and um, and riding their own ride. And so yeah. they're, they're allowing others to participate by paying off their microloan so that we can perpetuate that. But there will always be an element of fundraising and development um, so I sure. have job security. And there's, there's a, uh, let me chase that down for just a second. Sure. This idea of a catalyst where, you know, the, the sum of its parts is greater mm-hmm. or the, the end is, is greater than the sum of its parts. Right. And so if you can have a loss, I think, if you will, financially, mm-hmm. and you can underwrite um, certain um, aspects of a program, mm-hmm. but it frees up billions of dollars economically, socially, then that seems to be a really good idea. And if you, along the way, can make it more sustainable, not 100% sustainable, but I know I would love to give uh, $15, Mm -hmm. right, for $100 worth of impact. I also love the idea that there's skin in the game. There is something innate about skin in the game. And so all those things really resonate with me. well, you know, there's another aspect of sustainability that I think is worth worth including in the in the conversation at this point, and and that is we are growing the market, right? Right. As we, you know, first year we put a uh, hundred bikes on the road, next year a hundred and fifty, and then we had the pandemic here and we were down to about sixty, but we'll be back up to mm-hmm. um, uh, again. And the, we are three years in now, so our first class of flyers or program participants are graduating mm-hmm. this year. They are paying off their vehicles. They it's own awesome. them. We are giving them the title, uh, and they are riding off. But they're not necessarily riding off into the sunset. What we've done over the last three years is build relationships with these people. We've provided excellent customer service and uh, and and maintain their vehicles and that sort of thing. And we expect, we anticipate and expect a very large percentage of them to come back Mm -hmm. for regular maintenance and that type of thing on a very reasonable fee-for-service basis, which is an additional revenue stream to help with that sustainability. Higher profit margin, too, if you think about sustainability. Well, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the service stuff. Definitely. definitely. Talk about about a a guy like Jay Martin, okay, and the paradigm shift – on the funding side, right? You got a guy like sure. that that's that's challenging the way we've done it for the past hundred years. Just right. let's just keep throwing money, sure. um, and it's not working. Well, yeah. and you know there there are a couple of ways. And uh, for those out there that know Jay, there's 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 definitely passion, right? Right. Uh, but then there's also math, 
you know, and amazing. Um, and, and that's, yeah, I know. Right. Science is big brother. Um, but basically what, uh, what we're, what we're finding is, you know, the, the economic impact of opportunity youth, right. And we'll take a segment of opportunity youth. Memphis has, has a, has a large, uh, population of opportunity youth. One segment are those folks, uh, age 21 to 24 who are not working and not in school. Right. right. There are 20,000 plus of those those individuals in this community. And the um, can you the, say that again? 18 to 24, 21 to 24, 21, 24, old, not working, not in school. And that's the group that you would like to think is about to become a really productive member of society. Mm-hmm. But somehow they're sidelined. Exactly. And that group, the economic uh, the the economic headwind or um, uh, or taxpayer um, support for each individual right. in that situation works out to about fourteen thousand dollars a year. Okay, uh, so when you think about a program like My City Rides, then the conversation for for Jay or other investors are, hey Ed, help us put ten people to work in Memphis for three years. Right. Mm -hmm. That's 30 work years. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, And let's think about the economic impact of that. If we take that 14,000 and just make it neutral, don't even move it out, you know, into the black, just make the red go away. Mm -hmm. 30 times 14,000 is a lot of money is a lot of money. And that's a, and that's a 30 to $40,000 investment for a tenfold return. Don't let me forget to come back to wrap up sort of the investor, donor, um, driver. But when I was um, listening to your TED Talk, you said something that's really important to me, and I want you to elaborate. You said something to the effect that most people want an opportunity to be productive and to work. Um, Can you talk about that? Absolutely. And that is a, you know, that is a fundamental belief and a fundamental belief of Jay's and of mine and of Megan's and, and, and everybody on our, on our team is that uh, people want a high quality of life and they want a high quality of life for themselves and their loved ones. And they are uh, willing and, and eager to, to do what it takes to, to get that. Where things sometimes get derailed is when they don't have the opportunity or the pathways to get to do that. Right. And, you know, I firmly believe that uh, the greatest potential for, for folks is to provide them opportunities to, to be successful. It needs to be a little challenging, but not impossible. Exactly. Right? I love the way you put it. Challenging is great. Impossible is debilitating. Exactly. And we saw a real prime example of that during the pandemic when people were getting furloughed and hours were getting changed. You know, we looked at how can we help at My City Rides. We know that the people that we're helping right now, their job status may be changing, things may be going on. So we put in place a scholarship program. So if somebody got furloughed um, or, you know, for whatever reason their job status changed, they could contact us, provide that documentation, and we would make sure that their scooter payment was covered by that scholarship. 
What we found was that a very small fraction of our population took advantage of that because they were still able to get to work. They weren't worried about riding on public transit where the capacity got uh, diminished to 10 people per bus. Right. You know, they weren't having that trouble. They were still able to get to work. A lot of them moved into food delivery because that became such a primary yeah, yeah. way of getting around. So all of a sudden, these folks had the mobility to shift and hustle. And that's really what we reward is that resiliency and that hustle that's present in this population um, to say, like, we'll, we're going to do what it takes. We're going to adapt. And so we used a very small amount of our scholarship money because people just didn't need it. They just kept working. My, you know, I think about that as well, just financially, the difference between, say, $500 a month, even if you have a inexpensive car, right, versus a hundred uh, dollars a month, 90 plus gas, which is not going to be like, you can, you can survive and you can be one of those people that said, you know what? I made it through. I, I cut back, but I made it through. I, I mentioned to you guys, we do a lot of work in Ethiopia and I, I get a little bit, uh, irritated when I hear Westerners talk about, well, Ethiopians or Africans in general across the continent. They just, they don't work with that hard. And my experience when I go to Ethiopia and I see the 1978 Toyota Camry taxi that still runs, that's held together by duct tape, I say that's a really hardworking, smart human. And I, I, I take that analogy back to Memphis, the, um, the potential in Memphis. We've mentioned some really smart people, but there's a lot of smart people, I'm going to bet, within those 20,000 young people that have a lot to give us but somehow they've been sidelined, not because they want to be sidelined, but because the system has made it hard, whether it's transportation. And, and I'm not saying the system was intentional or anything like that. Cities grow. Economic systems grow. But they often leave people behind. If I can take $1,500, if you will, over the course of three years and empower someone to get permanent I think you use the term, somebody used the term advanceable <laughs> employment, dignity, all this stuff. That seems like a pretty dang good investment to me. Um, but I'm, you, you guys got to keep me on track here, even though I'm <laughs> supposed to be interviewing you. Um, your green chair talk, by the way, love that oh, podcast, that interview yeah, format. Jessica Morris does an excellent yep, She's job. killing it. Yeah. So anybody that's curious, just uh, Google it, search. Yeah. You mentioned something that I really liked. And um, you talked about intentionality. Mm -hmm. Every single interview I've done, mm -hmm. that word has come up. So let's zoom out. And this doesn't even have to be about my city rides. Mm -hmm. uh, talk about intentionality and why it's important. Mm -hmm. I think that um, part of what attracted the team to my city rides is just how focused we are on this mission of being very... Um, practical in our approach to helping folks. Um, everything that we do from collecting data to the technology that we're implementing to the partnerships that we're seeking out um, is very focused and mission driven. And I think um, these conversations that we're having, these uh, collaborations that we're putting together with other uh, like-minded, innovative groups in Memphis, you know, that collaboration, um, there's just, there's a lot of work to be done and a limited number of hours in the day and and every day that Memphis, you know, is 
without better transportation, without this type of innovation, more people get left behind or get discouraged and get sidelined, like what you're talking about. And so um, for us, it's a matter of we have a finite number of hours in our day. How do we use them to productively help people better? And so there's a lot of, of things that could use our attention to. Um, you know, we get the question about driver's licenses. Can, can you help people get driver's licenses? We, we can't right now because that would be mission drift for us. Sure. And we have a team of seven, seven talented, mm-hmm. passionate people helping 300 plus and a growing number of flyers and 24 plus employer partners and all of these things like we would love to be able to do that, but that just can't be what we're doing. And, and job placement, you know, we are at a position of knowing lots of different employers that are looking for jobs, um, but we can't be an employment agency, but we right. know Mid-South Employer Network is doing that. Yeah. And so they're helping. We know that ECOP is helping and Hope Works and Advanced Memphis. There are lots of organizations in, in the city. Memphis has a huge number of nonprofits available. Um, so we don't need to be doing the same work. Right. We need to be able to reflect for people and to educate ourselves. And I think that is a point of intentionality that Memphians can take on pretty easily just to educate themselves yep. about who's doing what kind of work. If you throw a rock in Memphis, you're going to hit a nonprofit. And the nonprofit community does a pretty good job of knowing who's doing valuable work and, and how you can go about um, connecting those resources. But a lot of Memphians don't know what's out there. And so I think something that people could just take a little bit of time and invest in is educating themselves on the nonprofit landscape in Memphis and then being a good connector. I mean, that's why podcasts like you know the Green Chair Conversations are so great you know, that Hope's doing um, is they connect people to these resources and give right. you a minute to just, while you're on your commute, driving in your car, <laughs> yep. listen to a podcast about what's being done. I mean, the work that you're doing, showcasing groups like Sweet Lala's and, you know, just educate yourself mm-hmm. and then you'll be better equipped to help make connections and investment in Memphis that will help our city move forward. I love it. I well, love it. Yeah, go and ahead. A, and, a, and just to just to build on that, um, as philanthropic as, as Memphis is as a community, and we've been recognized nationally for that, sure. and you yeah. know, we've got some really big-hearted folks here, and thousands and thousands of nonprofits, I think 11,000 was the last count that I, I had heard. It's a lot of administrative assistance. A lot. There is a lot. There are well, a lot that's of another people, podcast. Yes. There are a lot of people that are out there that are trying to help and that are helping right. in, in, in a lot of key areas uh, like food and shelter and clothing and, and that type of thing. What, what we don't see a lot of are transportation-focused nonprofit initiatives. Now there there are some, but um, what we what we see is there is a there's a big gap and a reliance on public transit there, which is it, we has the challenges that, that that we discussed earlier. And there is particularly a gap, and this kind of speaks to the intentionality intentionality of what we're focused on. Um, as uh, you know folks are probably aware of Birds and limes and those sort of razor-like right. scooters yeah. that are that have proliferated. And I said scooter, and we don't consider them scooters. They're for the record. Twice. I tried one of those for the first time in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. and tried to go across the mall. Yes, if you have been to the mall, it's gravel. Yep. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really work. Didn't well. end well. No. Didn't end well. But my partner thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I bet. 
I bet. Well, and you know, those, those, um, those vehicles are, they certainly serve a purpose. Right. And they definitely proliferated and they are what they are good for their first mile, last mile. Yeah. Right. They're, they're good for getting from Overton, uh, square to Cooper Young or from North Main to South Main right. or, or things like that. Um, what they're, what they're not designed for is getting to work 10 miles on a Tuesday morning. Um, and what, what my city rides is focused on is, you know, those are, well, the, the birds and the lines and those scooters, uh, as well as explore bike share and, and other initiatives are really micro transit, you know, in terms of right. very short distances, uh, of frequently recreational, that type of thing. Then you've got, uh, cars and, and buses and things that are macro. Uh, transportation that can go between cities and cover long distances where my city rides is intentional and focus is on this area that we call Metro transit, which is transportation within the metropolitan area. And when you talk about a metropolitan area like Memphis, that's got such a big footprint, right? That becomes even more important. And that is the area that we are focused on. Not only are we focused on transportation, but specifically that underserved slice of, of transportation. Yeah. Going back to our 11,000 nonprofits, uh, I think we all have heard the saying, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> what I like about you guys and what I like about a lot of, of uh, impact organizations in Memphis is when you can marry good intentions with intentionality, mm-hmm. right? That's a pretty powerful thing. Mm-hmm. So we need to land a plane. Um, so um, talk to us real quick about where you see uh, synopsis, because we've covered a lot of it, where you see My City Rides over the next three, five, ten years. Where is, where's it going? Sure. Sure. It, we're going up. Uh, my city rides is going big, baby. Awesome. Right. Um, we see ourselves over the next three to five years. We'll be over the next year. We'll, we'll be preparing and moving into our new, our, our new home, our new world headquarters, which will allow us to scale. You got to have a world headquarters if you're going to take over the world. So exactly. I'm excited for you. Exactly. And what that what that facility will will let us do is grow to putting out uh, to 300 plus uh, scooters or flyers per year here in Memphis, getting to a point where we have at least a thousand folks in the three year program at any given time. That's awesome. Kind of on the on the heels of that, what we also see is a very real opportunity is the ability to take this to other communities and to help uh, similarly positioned. And you mentioned earlier among the South, if you think about the Sun Belt and right. particularly, you know, cities that developed or really grew after World War II yeah. are automobile focused, automobile centric, um, so much so that you, you, we don't even think about it. You right. don't even see it. Um, and those are the places where, where public transit is going to be most challenging because they're going to be spread out for right. cars. Um, and so we see many, many, many opportunities for expansion and, and helping folks, not just in this community, but across the country. That's really amazing. You guys are doing really great work. Um, now I always wrap up these podcasts with what I call rapid fire questions. Okay. So we're going to, each of you gets a shot and so I'm going to go back and forth. Like, so Andy, I'm going to start with uh, your favorite ice cream, but the <laughs> next one I'll give to you so that okay. it's not, you're not always okay. getting a chance to think about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're just fair enough. Rocky road uh, brand. That's a really good question. And I'm uh bluebell. Okay. All right. Rocky road, bluebell. 
Megan, oh, favorite ice cream? Mint chocolate chip Baskin Robbins. Oh, wow. I mean, That's a, I like it. All yeah. right. Um, are you a, uh, a non-alcoholic family? No. Bourbon? No. Favorite bourbon? Oh, What's your favorite? No. Wine? White wine. White wine? Yeah. Okay. Favorite alcohol? <laughs> Ooh, well, you mentioned you mentioned bourbon, and uh, yes, like, you look like, like a, a you even sound like a bourbon guy. So I'm hoping. <laughs> well, it's becoming very popular these days, right? And I would hate to limit myself to just one. True, exactly. Because you know exactly. there, there, there's so many fantastic options out there. Um, but uh, golly, uh, I really like Michter's, which is sort of a little niche. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you know? gotta um, support our friends at Blue Note. Yeah, well, Blue Note actually, and that's a fantastic. They've become one of my favorites. Yeah, and, and they are, and they've been. Uh, they're big My City Rides fans. Mm-hmm. Are they? Matter yeah. of fact, all right. We, shout out to them. Absolutely, mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Macaulay and all the guys down there. We. Um, I need to go down there for the tour. Yes, it, yes it's you wonderful. That's really fantastic. awesome. Mm-hmm. It's all right. fantastic. We'll definitely do that. And the uh, rye, I like it. All right, um, favorite donut. Oh, favorite donut, uh, Gibson's. Is there any other choice? You know, I have to tell. I'm not going to name names, but I asked somebody recently. I went into their bakery uh-huh. and I said, and I got a cinnamon roll, mm-hmm. and I said, "How does this compare to Gibson's?" And the baker said this to me. He said, "Never been to Gibson's." I said, "Well, don't you need to do a little market research?" He said, well, we're good enough. We don't have to. And I was with my little girl, and I looked at her after he'd left, and I said, not the same. Yep. Gibson's has got it. Well, um, you know, that reminds me of a, of, of a saying that, um, that has always been important to me, and that is, you know, good enough isn't. That's exactly right. <laughs> and until you produce a donut like Gibson's that I can literally hammer a dozen before I know what happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's legit. Okay, um, one quote that you would leave people with that's kind of been important to you. A foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds. Wow. Yeah. Is that original with you? Pardon me? Well, and that's all. I, I like that one. That's one I of can my see you sipping your bourbon, <laughs> sharing <laughs> Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson quotes. I like that. Well, and, it, you know, it's, it's, it's all about that to me is, is all about innovation and uh reliance and um yeah it's just really has always resonated with me Stephen and i were talking about foolish consistency this morning we just didn't realize that was what we were talking about quote Uh, megan's quote the difference between the right word and the wrong word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning bolt and that's a mark twain wow that's you know that's connected to journalism and uh marketing as well i like that Plus, he's a Missourian, so man, y'all are gonna have that. y'all are making me think. <laughs> <laughs> favorite book or book you're reading now that you're like everybody needs to read this. One of my favorite books that has been really meaningful to me, as well as to our team uh, in My City Rides, has been Toxic Charity, and uh, you know, that mm-hmm. book is 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 all about um, helping you know giving a hand up rather than giving a hand out, and yep. how the traditional uh, nonprofit uh, charitable activities can actually be uh, undermining uh, and not empowering. Yeah. I love that book. I tell people if you're going to do work in nonprofit and you don't read that book, you're not serious. Yep. I don't know any other way to put it. Megan, I, book. It is the um, along those same veins because you took mine thirst. 
um, by Scott Harrison. That was good, wasn't it? Yes, it's mm-hmm. wonderful. And I love um, I love all things Charity Water. Andy will tell you I'm a bit yep. obsessed. But Jeez. I love how they went to the root source of the problem. They stopped addressing symptoms and they started addressing the the factor of clean water that's so yeah. easily understandable, universal, and um, addresses all of those economic issues and health issues. Um, so I, I love everything about Cherry that's Water. That's fantastic. Uh, when we were getting started in Africa, we looked at pure water well drilling first. And we, within a year or two, realized it was the most corrupt sector. And so what they're doing, Mm -hmm. at least from my perspective, is pretty remarkable because their wells seem to be hanging around. Ten years ago, the statistic was 80% of them are are not functioning in two years. Mm -hmm. Um, So their their wells seem to continue to function. That's because they train local people to maintain them. They don't just dig a well and move on. Mm -hmm. They train local help that then buy in and they have that community invest. And and they're investing in that technology to make other water capture forms and sanitation um, possible, which I, innovation and technology, it's all the things. Great book yeah. first. So the, our listeners just Google that because I can't, Scott, Scott Harrison, Scott Harrison and then is the Toxic author. Charity by Richard Lupton. Too. Both of those are fantastic mm-hmm. books. Um, really enjoyed it. As we wrap up, how can our listeners get involved touch base with you guys. What's the best way to do that? There's a couple of ways. So you can sign up for our newsletter at mycityrides.org. If they go to mycityrides.org, they're also going to find some videos from our flyers. Oh, cool. So they can get to meet some of the folks that we're helping in the program. And I should put like GoPros on a few people. And we just have. A we day do. in the life. That'd be that. awesome. It's a good time. Um, so mycityrides.org. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yeah. My City Rides on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, a little bit on Twitter. We're working on that. And then if somebody wants to help and invest in yeah. what we're doing, um, you can donate online and you can either give a monthly gift, which helps us support the fleet in general. Mm-hmm. We call it the 901 fund. Um, and you can put that decimal anywhere you want to in 901. We're good with that. I love um, it. And then there's also our capital campaign. We have a $400,000 goal by the end of this year to reach our $3 million total for our capital campaign. Okay. So 400000 left in that campaign. And we have a $250,000 matching challenge in effect right now from the Assisi Foundation. So if somebody wants to give to that campaign, they can donate online and that gift will be matched dollar for dollar. And I want to be careful saying this um, when it comes to raising money, but a good sign is when the Assisi Foundation supports an organization because they're very rigorous in how they vet a program. So, um, yeah. Well, um, thanks again for coming. Andy Nix, Megan, thank you so much. Um, You can learn more about uh, Journey to Impact at at edgellantine.com. It's a great resource for our articles, white papers, website links, all that stuff. There will be a link to My City Rides. You can also purchase the book, uh, Journey to Impact, uh, printed or in any major digital platform through our website or at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And imagine this, I saw it on Target dot com the other day so uh, i must be becoming a pretty big deal yeah that's a big deal when you're at target um you can also listen to this podcast and a bunch of others by going to the website or just uh putting in the search um uh, field there in your podcast app journey to impact Um, as always please leave a review we listen to those and it helps guide us on who we talk to who we interview the things that we talk about and until next time all the best